Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 2 tonight. Luke chapter number 2. I envy you people your Christmas spirit. I'm going to be honest with you. I got a pastor friend that he, he every Christmas, and I saw a picture of him today. Brother Curtis comes, preaches for us. He's got this suit. It's the ugliest thing you've ever seen in your life. And it looks, it looks like wrapping paper. That's what it looks like. And, uh, Bill and Kathy Collins, you know, they moved up to Jamestown for some reason, and they, they go to his church, and Kathy sent me a text today with a picture of, uh, of, of his, uh, suit. You know, he's wearing it. And I, I texted back and said, I just gagged. Amen. And she said, well, it's ugly sweater day at church, and so he wears that suit. I said, well, he won. I don't know whatever the prize is, but but he won. <laughs> Amen. And uh, I do, I envy you all your Christmas spirit. I feel like my preaching during this time of the year is a primer on how to survive Christmas without any Christmas spirit, because that very often seems to be uh, my perspective. But you just pray for me. Amen. God does miracles. Maybe he can give me the Christmas spirit I need. I say that to preface the message tonight because uh, this is another message that I, and maybe and maybe this is wrong, but maybe it's got too much of my perspective in it. But it certainly has been something that God has been doing in my heart this year. Luke chapter number two, and I want you to begin reading with me down in verse twenty-five. Luke chapter number two, verse number twenty-five. Now this is what we would call Christmas adjacent. All right, so this is not on the night of Christmas, but it's eight days later when they bring the young infant Christ to the temple to do as was commanded by the law for him to be, uh, you know, uh, presented at the temple and for Mary to go through the process of her purification, things like that. And the Bible says this in verse 25, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God, and said, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be here in your house. No more precious place that we could be than in the house of God, Lord, surrounded by the people of God. Uh, Lord, I pray that as your word is preached tonight, that an eternal work would be done in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, for we know your word has that power. We know that your spirit has that power. Lord, help us to do our part in being open and surrendered unto you. Uh, let us with meekness receive the engrafted word tonight, being willing to examine our own selves, Lord, not seeking to pass the truth that's been given to us off to the person to the right or the left, not trying to, uh, you know, squirm our way out. But Lord, just hearing the truth and examining our life and letting you do that work, that process in us of showing us where there's areas of need and us surrendering unto you, Lord. And at the end of it all, may we be more like Christ in our attitude, our actions, our testimony in every way. Father, we love you tonight. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. 
I want you to notice with me verse number 28, 29, and 30. The Bible says, Then Simeon, he took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. Now imagine with me, if you will, for a moment. Here is this aged man and he picks up the infant Christ and he's holding it in his arm. And he says, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. When we consider what the Christmas season is about, it is about fixing our spirit and soul's gaze upon the events that took place surrounding the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. I'll be honest with you, part of the reason that Grinches like me have the the attitude we have about Christmas, and it's my fault, is because sometimes I get to looking at the wrong things. I get my eyes off of what matters, and I get my eyes on the wrong thing. Now listen, before you stand in too much judgment, I mean, a lot of people do that. They just do it the other way around. They they get their eyes fixed on the things that get them excited. Uh, I get my eyes fixed on the things that get me annoyed at Christmas time. Amen. I call the extra traffic and money and the music and all those different things. You can't go into a store without hearing that Mariah Carey woman all the time make you want to blow your brains out. And, and, and I, sometimes I get my eyes on the wrong thing when I'm looking at Christmas. But when I read here in Luke chapter number 2, I read about a man by the name of Simeon. And when he looks at the infant Christ, when he looks at Christmas, we could say, he sees the right things. One of the things I'm trying to train my heart to do and my mind to do and asking for God's help with is when I come to the Christmas season, I want to look for the right things. I want to look at it in the right way because this uh, indeed and certainly is a time of the year that God meant to be a blessing to His people and not a burden. So how can I look at Christmas and see the right things in it? Now before we look at the things that He saw, I would say this, before that external look, there had to be an internal disposition. In other words, if we're going to have the right spirit and attitude, not just at Christmas, but at any time of year, there's got to be some things in our life that are correct. And we see them in the life of Simeon. I want you to notice three things about Simeon. What kind of man was he? The Holy Ghost gives us a short sort of biography on him. The Bible says in verse 25, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man, notice this next phrase, was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. I'd say number one, Simeon was a man, a consecrated man with faith. He was a man that knew God, was living for God, and was looking for God in his life. You know, part of what makes this time of year so hard, if you're a person like me, we have allowed the world to hijack the celebration of the birth of our Lord. And they've taken it and they've made it about Christmas cane. Uh, they, they've made it uh, about candy canes. They've made it about poinsettias. They've made it about, uh, you know, uh, presents. They've made it about, uh, you know, trees. And, and they made, they've made it about Santa Claus. If you're from around here, you know that's how, that's his, his name, right? Name ain't Santa Claus, alright? I think that's what he goes by above Kentucky. But down here he's Santa Claus. Has made it about all of those things. Well, of course the world does that. You know why? Because they don't know what this season is really all about. So if we're going to approach it and appreciate it in the right way, we have to be somebody that knows God, believes in God, loves the Lord, and is serving Him. And then this season takes on a whole new meaning. 
This is a season that commemorates a time in human history when a faithful remnant of people like Simeon, like the widow Anna that is spoken of in the next few verses, though it had been 450 long years since they had heard the voice of God being spoken through a prophet, though they had watched humanity enter into one of its darkest ages, they kept faith, they continued to look for God, they continued to serve the Lord best as they knew how and in the best way that they were equipped to do so. And then one day, here comes, everything changes. God Himself steps out into the human sphere. Here's a man that he could get excited about Christmas. You know why? He had been waiting for it a long time. He had been looking for the time when the consolation of Israel would come, when the Messiah would appear. And I would say in your life and mine, if we want to be excited about the work of the Lord and excited about the things of God, we have to be serving Him, living for Him, and looking in anticipation for God to do those things. And I would say the very first step in your life and mine, we have to make sure that the Christ means a lot to us, because if He doesn't, the birth of Christ won't mean a lot to us. Uh, He was a consecrated man with faith. And then look at verse number 25. Uh, The end of it, it says, And the Holy Ghost was upon Him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to do something with a little wordplay here and I'll admit to you my error in theology because I don't want you to misunderstand me. Uh, Simeon, he was a consecrated man with faith, but he was also a communing man that is filled. Now, every student of the Bible is going to wait and you're going to stop me. You're going to have a question for me at the back door. You're going to say, but now wait a minute, preacher. Is not it true that in the Old Testament they were not filled with the Holy Ghost? Yes, you're absolutely a million percent right. And I'm glad that you asked me that question. It gives me a reason to preach a little longer. No, they weren't filled in the Old Testament. But sure enough, we're supposed to be in the New Testament. And uh, Simeon was a man that inasmuch as a relationship could be had with the Holy Ghost, he had it. In the Old Testament, the Holy Ghost obviously did not indwell men. Uh, but in the, old, uh, in the Old Testament, it is true that the Holy Ghost would be upon them. In fact, I heard one preacher say it this way. If you study the Holy Ghost in relation to human activity in the Old Testament, you'll find Him in front of people, behind people, to the right, to the left, above them, below them, on them, around them. You won't ever find Him inside of them. That's a New Testament distinction. We are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. But I would say in as much as He was able, He was a man that had the Holy Ghost in control of His life. The Holy Ghost was upon him. And not only that, he was being guided. I haven't got to this, I'm going to preach it in a moment, but verse 27 says he came by the Spirit into the temple. So this is a man that has communion with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has control over his life. He's guiding him and he's comforting him in what he does. Now that is a description in many ways of how a New Testament believer should be living. We should be so surrendered to the leadership of the Holy Ghost that He is our God, He is our companion, He is our comforter, He is our instructor, He is our rebuker, He is our corrector, our chastener. In our life, He is the arm of God administrating the work and will of God in our lives. I would say this, if we study the character of the Holy Spirit, uh, I'll tell you the one thing that the Holy Spirit gets real excited about, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this is something where the charismatics get it wrong. I heard a man say one time, if all, if you got too much focus on the Father, it'll make you a Calvinist. If you got too much on the Spirit, it'll make you a charismatic. If you've got your focus on Jesus Christ, it'll make you a Bible believer. I say amen to that. I believe there's some truth to that. But one of the things that the charismatics get wrong is that uh, if you're listening to the Holy Ghost, I tell you somebody the Holy Ghost is never going to be talking about, and that's Himself. Uh, that's what Christ said. He'd not speak of Himself. He would testify of me, the Lord Jesus said would speak of Him. So I would say this, it makes perfect season, uh, perfect uh, sense that this would be a season we could find joy in as we commune with the Holy Spirit, as He has control over our life, uh, because He is excited about the things 
that have to do with the Lord Jesus. And then verse 27 says this, He came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for Him after the custom of the law, then took He Him up in His arms and blessed God. So He is a consecrated man with faith. He is a communing man that is filled, but He is a committed man that is faithful. He is a man that is serving God in the way that God has called him to as consistently, as steadfastly as he can. I, you say, preacher, what's the best thing I could do when I'm down in the dumps, when I'm discouraged? Go to church. Preacher, what's the best thing I could do when I'm feeling good, when I feel like i got the world by its tail? Go to church. Preacher, what should I do when I'm happy? Go to church. What should I do when I'm sad? Go to church. What should I do when I'm confused? Preacher, go to church. Uh, what should I do when I'm hungry? Preacher, go to this church. Amen? <laughs> you know why? He was at church that day. He was at church the day God showed up. Uh, you know, here, here's the reality. And I'm glad where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be. But can I just be frank with you? I wish that every time we met, it just got plumb out. I mean, I wish it just got... I'm talking about uh, the, the the banks overflowing. I'm talking about so thick you don't know what to do with it. I'm talking about God just moving in and sitting down on a place like the Shekinah glory of God. And if you find a place where it's like that every week, let me know. I'll quit here and go to church there. Truth is, it ain't like that any place all the time. But if we're doing what God expects us to do, it is like that some of the time. And if I pick and choose when I'm going to go relative to how I'm feeling, you know the real danger, I might miss that day. I might lay out the day that God shows up. You know why Simeon got help that day? Uh, because he had went there that day like he did every day. And because he did the day that God showed up, God did something in his life. And I would say if, if we want to, as we approach this season... We have to stay committed to the Lord. So many people, it's so easy to do in a time of busyness, in a time of obligations, responsibilities, in a time where it feels like everybody's just pulling at you one way or the other. And I'm just being frank with you. That's one of the things I've never liked about the season is all of a sudden my calendar is about 40 times more full than it normally is. Uh, we're, we're All of a sudden we're having this group's meeting and that group's meeting and this family's meeting here and that family's meeting there. Then this family's got to meet over here because they won't meet with that family. And then we got to have this gift exchange. We've got to have that. I just run the tires off my car this time of year. But you know, sometimes in the midst of all that, it is easy to let our responsibilities to the Lord fall and fail. And then all of a sudden, this time of year becomes just an unmitigated burden instead of a time when we're getting help and encouragement from the Lord. How can we prevent that? Well, we need to put things where they belong. Put the Lord number one and stay committed and faithful to God. I think if we do that, we might just see the same kind of things that Simeon sees. So when this man looks at Christmas, when he holds Christmas up in the palms of his hands and beholds it, what does this man see? I want you to notice I've got 725 things. Notice them with me. Verse 29, what's the first thing that he says? Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. He looks at this little infant Christ. You know what he sees? He sees Christ's satisfaction. So what do you mean, preacher? He sees the fact that he's got Christ and that's all he could ever ask for. He looks at him and says, essentially, now I can die, Lord. I have seen the Lord's Christ, and that's enough. You know, when we look at the Christmas season, uh, instead of growing dissatisfied with everything, maybe we'd be better off to get our eyes on Christ and grow satisfied with Him. To be reminded that in the midst of all of the things that seem to try to crowd their way into our life and command control of it, that of all those things, we truly have the ability to be satisfied and content through the person 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. You ever buy for somebody that's never satisfied? You ever buy for somebody that pretends they're satisfied but you can tell because they ain't good enough faker? Right? I buy for people like that all the time. I'm glad to know, hey, listen, uh, very often in a world where no one's ever satisfied, that we can be satisfied through the Lord Jesus. In a time when, when the Christmas season has been hijacked to be prostituted out for unmitigated commercialism, in a time when all it's about is buying more and getting more and getting the latest and getting the best, God's people ought to be able to sit back and say this, no matter what, I'm satisfied with Jesus Christ. He is enough for me. That's what Simeon said. He said, if I never had another thing, the fact that I've got to look upon Him and hold Him, that is enough. I'm content. I would say that one of the ways we can be benefited by Christmas is instead of having our focus and attention on the material things that we either get or give to others, we instead ought to have our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll find that He is satisfying unto us. Look at verse number 30. Here's the first thing He catalogs. Mine eyes have seen. What has He seen? Number one, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. You know, one of the things that will help us this time of year is to be reminded that the birth of Christ occurred so that the death of Christ could occur. And the death of Christ occurred so that the resurrected life of Christ could occur. And that occurred so that you and I could have new life in Christ Jesus. One of the things that I have had to train myself to do, because I'm not a big fan of Christmas music. I'm just not. It's it's not my scene, alright? And I can sing it and I can enjoy it. And I've got some Christmas songs that I like and everything, but it's not. I used to tell Brother Kerry, and I used to let him take the heat for this, but really he was just doing what his pastor asked. I've always told him every year, you got two choices. You can sing one Christmas song a week throughout the whole week of December, or you can sing no Christmas songs and the Sunday before Christmas, you can sing only Christmas songs. Pick your poison, all right? It's just not my thing, you know? I, I mean, I, that Redback hymnal has too many Christmas songs as it is. Somebody say amen. And I think it's got like two. <laughs> I know, if you love Christmas songs, that's fine. Go ahead and bow up on me and get mad. But one of the things I've had to do as I as I approach this season and as I worship the Lord is I have to remind myself that though I really don't care nothing about Silent nights and, 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 you know, mangers and a drummer boy and any of that. That don't matter to me. Uh, at the end of the day, all of those things are a part of this great glorious tapestry of God's plan of redemption. And that this was but a step in the process of God giving His Son to die on the cross of Calvary to make a way for you and a way for me to know God. When He held that baby, He didn't say, I have seen the Lord's incarnation. He had. But instead He said, I've seen the Lord's salvation. I've seen what you intend to do for humanity. We ought to be reminded, just as we were this morning in talking about the sheep being swaddled in clothes, that sacrificial lamb, that the whole reason He was given was so that He could be given a sacrifice. The whole reason He was born was so He could die. And the Christmas story is as much a part of the story of redemption as anything else is. In other words, when I'm listening, when I'm when I'm worshiping, and and, and when I'm in you know Christmas, I got to remind myself that at the end of the day, there may be some things that are just pure rank nostalgia that people enjoy because of that. But at the end of the day, the very the very seed, the very heartbeat of what this is all about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if there's if I can't get excited about those other things, you know, I heard Brandon was showing me something today. I'm gonna I'm gonna share this. It was. He showed me a thing today that said that the lyrics, infant so tender and mild. You know what I'm talking about? 
and infants are tender and mild. Does that not imply that there is a chewy and spicy baby somewhere? I mean, the, the, right? The exception just proves the rule. So if an infant can be tender and mild, can one be chewy and spicy? Man, there's a lot of that stuff. I know we talk about, oh, silent night. No, he cried just like a baby would cry. You know, we asked Mary, did you know? Yeah, she knew. <laughs> I was talking to someone, I, I was talking to someone on Friday and, and, and I said, you know, there, there's a reason a man didn't, you know, man did write that song, Mark Lowry. We won't get into that, but, but there, there's, that, that, that is a distinctly feminine song, right? It drips with maternal emotion. And the reason why is because if it was written from a man's perspective, it would be, Mary, did you know? Yep, she did. The Bible's abundantly clear from the very beginning that she knew that he was going to die. I'm saying this. There may be some things that you can't get excited about. But hey, listen, bless the Lord. We can get excited about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And instead of being a perpetual Grinch like I am, instead we ought to get our heart trained on what this season is really about. It's about his salvation. Look at verse 31. He says this, which thou hast... I'm already in trouble with most of y'all. But he says, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. One of the beautiful things to notice about the Christmas story is the sovereignty of God in the midst of all of it. When Simeon held this little baby up in the air, he didn't just see the product, he saw the process. He saw what all it took to reach that moment. And he said, you know, Lord, ever since the beginning of time, you have been preparing this moment. When you read the Christmas story, and particularly in Luke chapter number 2, one of the things that if you sit and think about it carefully will strike you is the astounding amount of world events that God had to orchestrate to put Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem that night. He had to orchestrate not only the rise of the Roman Empire, uh, the uh, Pax Romana, right? The Roman peace, the Roman roads, the, the, the Roman law, all of these things to make possible a road system and a civilization and a society where travel was easy and expedient, but also had to set up a system of taxation that would bring Mary and Joseph to that very place. Think about all of the things that God had to orchestrate in bringing the wise men, some two years later, by the way, all the way to... It's astonishing. What I'm saying is this, as we remember this season, we need to be reminded of the great sovereign providence of God in orchestrating all of these events so that people like you and people like me could know God in a personal way. And we need to be reminded God's in control. God's in such control that because His Word said in Bethlehem, uh, Ephrata, that He would be born, that because His Word said that, he literally rose up a Roman nation to orchestrate a, a situation, devise a situation whereby the Word of God would be affirmed and proven to be true in support of it. I'd say we've got a sovereign God that's in control of this world, wouldn't you? He ain't running around trying to play catch up and figure out how he can make something good out of the mess that this world is in. He sits upon the circle of the earth. He measured the universe in the span of his hands. He was God then. He's God now and he'll be God forevermore. And when we look at the Christmas season, man, we ought to be able to look at it and be reminded that God's in control. Not just minute control, He's in control of things. So he, he was reminded of His sovereignty. Look at verse number 23. When He sees the Christ child, He sees Christ's sufficiency. He says that He would be a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of Thy people Israel. In that, He is answering the basic two fundamental needs of the human condition and the two respective needs of those people groups. 
What was the problem with Gentiles that sat in darkness? They didn't know truth. They had no means of truth. But when Christ came, He came and said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. What was the problem with, with Israel as a people? They had lost their glory. What was the glory of, of God? It was the Shekinah glory, the presence of God in the midst of the people of Israel. For 450 years, the voice of God hadn't spoke. They'd worship, but the worship wasn't real. It wasn't sincere. There was not any substance to it. It had become mere gutted out tradition and nothing more. But here Jesus shows up. And what does He show up to do? To give light to the Gentiles, to give glory to the Jews. He shows up and He is not only exactly what they need, He is everything they need. He, they're reminded when he, when he sees it, He sees the sufficiency of Christ. That He's all I need. That He can be all I will ever need. That He meets the need and surpasses the need in your life. You know, sometimes, I'm just going to be frank with you, and I'm not trying to tug on nobody's heartstrings, but Christmas is a hard time for a lot of people. Even You might have lost somebody around this time of year. And even if you didn't, you probably think of them more now than you think of them at other times. And you are constantly reminded with family gatherings of the chair that still sits empty, of the place at the table that is no longer occupied. And it is a hard time of year for you to face. Can I encourage you that you can look over at that empty seat and be reminded of who's not there. Or you can look at it and be reminded of who's always there. And that He is sufficient. I'm not saying, how do I say this right? I'm not scolding a grieving heart. All I'm saying is that He is enough if we'll let Him be enough. I'm not saying He replaces, but I am saying He comforts. I'm not saying He displaces, but I am saying that He gives us encouragement and whenever Simeon looked at this little child, he said, you know, this is all the world needs. All the world needs. If they could have this child, then they would have all that this world needs. You and I, if we know Christ, we have that child. We have more than Him as a child. We have Him as the resurrected Lord. And He is all that we need in our life. It's not, I'm not begrudging us desiring other things in our life. But I'm saying at the end of the day, we can look at this as a season where we keenly sense what is gone or what is missing. Or we can use it as a time when we focus on what's present in our life and the sufficiency of Him. Look at verse 33. The Bible says, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Now I identify a little bit with Mary and Joseph. There have been times that people have come up to me and talked to me about my kids. And there have been times I have marveled at what they're telling me my child has done. I'm like, I, 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 he did what? Really he did? It's not that I don't believe it. It's just hard to believe anybody's child would do such a thing. And then there's been other times people have come up to me and they, and they, and they've told me things about my child. I've had Sunday school teachers, children's church workers, you know, friends and stuff come up and say, Oh, your child is so sweet. I'm Toby. I'm to, my Lawrence and Schofield are my two, right? Uh, yeah, I know, I know. Oh, he's so sweet. He's so precious. He's so this. Then they'll say this. They're so obedient. I wish you'd come live at my house. Maybe they'd be that way all the time. But they're not when they're at home. All right. And there's been times I've been told, and all of a sudden it's dawned on me, it's given a perspective that often I'm robbed of as a parent. There is a similar thing that is taking place here. As Joseph and Mary, I mean, for eight days, they're still processing everything that's been said. And, and I think Mary, I mean, she knew, she had to know who this is. This is the Son of God. This is God with us. 
But I don't know it had really hit home until this old man walks up and looks at him and says, do you know what you got? Do you know what you've got here? This is God's salvation. This is the Messiah. This is the one about whom all the prophecies were told. This is Him. And we're holding Him and we're seeing Him and we're beholding Him. I'll tell you what he saw in that moment and what he caused them to see was Christ's significance. Just who He really was. And you know, very often, again, we have been... It has been a sinister form of inoculation that the world, the flesh, and the devil have perpetrated on the people of God in causing us to get over the wonder that salvation is. And they, they've done that by taking things that have always held off for the people of God and displacing what's meaningful about it and twisting it and corrupting it and making it, and I'm, t- I'm saying this to my own shame. Let me just preach it, Toby Weber, for a moment. Taking something that ought to be precious, something that ought to be wonderful, that ought to be meaningful, and so twisting it, so corrupting it, that it makes it something that you just almost can't even stomach. What a sinister thing that is. If there's ever any group of people that ought to be able to get excited as we celebrate the Lord's birth, hey, it ought to be this guy. It ought to be a child of God. It ought to be a preacher of the Word of God. But here's the problem. We lose sight of Christ's significance. What an amazing Savior He is. And what a wonderful thing it was when He came to this earth and when He died for our sin. Look at verse 35 with me. He sees something else. Verse 34. We'll read both of these verses together. And Simeon blessed him and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. I'll say a word about that here in a moment and for a sign which shall be spoken against. And then he he leans in a little bit, and he says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. In making these statements, he is referencing and reflecting Christ's suffering. He says he'd be a sign that would be spoken against. What does that mean, a sign that is spoken against? If you were out uh, hunting somewhere and there were signs up that said no trespassing or no hunting, you'd look at those signs and you might do one of three things. You might look at it and heed that warning. Turn around and walk away. You might look at it and you might say, why that don't apply to me, there's no big deal there, and walk past it. Or you might, like some rednecks in this part of the country do, get mad about it and pepper it with buckshot. That's a sign you're speaking against, all right? What you're saying is, I don't want to receive it. I don't want to hear it. It just makes me angry. (laughs) You know, the Lord Jesus, when He came to this earth, uh, people responded in one of three ways. There were some that, like Simeon, looked at Him and saw Him for who and what He was and placed their faith in Him. There were some in Israel that did the same thing, that saw the truth in John's preaching and prepared themselves for the kingdom of heaven. And then when Christ came, they believed on Him. There were others that merely looked at it and said, nah, not for me. Some like that rich young ruler that came up, sniffed around at the kingdom of God, and then said, no thank you, and turned around and walked away. But then there were some, like the Pharisees, that were enraged, angered, offended at this sign that had been given to them. They lived in constant hate, spite, and vitriol against the message, miracles, and ministries of the Lord Jesus. And they spoke against it at every chance they had. This culminated at the cross of Calvary. 
Uh, You really want to know what put Christ on the cross? Number one, it was the providence of God. God chose to send Him there. But number two, it was the wickedness of mankind. Not just one given people group. And there were several that had their... By the way, lest we wonder, hey, the Romans, representative of the Gentile world, drove the nails. The Jews, representative of the Jewish world, they told the lies. Everybody had a hand in putting them on the cross. And all of that culminated, that spite, that hatred, that vitriol in the suffering of Christ on the cross of Calvary. And whenever Simeon holds this little baby up in the air, he does not just see a magnificent life, he also sees a cruel death that is coming. I need to be reminded this time of year that at the end of the day, uh, what this time of the year, this season is about, what a joyful time it is for many of us. And, And that's good. I don't want to take that away. But let us never, as we celebrate this time of year, let it never be lost on us, the great price that Christ paid on the cross of Calvary. His suffering did not begin at Golgotha. It culminated at Golgotha. But He was a man of sorrows, and He was well acquainted with grief. I don't want to make statements about the incarnation of Christ that I I can't substantiate with Scripture. But this notion that He lived in complete obliviousness to his nature until he was 12, 13 years old or a grown man. I just don't trust with that. I don't think that's true. I think even in some way, even as an infant, he was aware and knew because he was still God that he was God. And so for him, just as Lot vexed his righteous soul day in and day out in Sodom and Gomorrah with their unrighteous living, their wicked and, and ungodly life, and, and living, I think the Lord Jesus lived in a constant state of suffering throughout His life. Grieved at the sin that He saw transpire around Him. And so, listen, it, it might have, it might, that suffering might have concluded at Calvary, but it commenced, it began all the way back in Bethlehem. And from that day till the day that He went to the cross of Calvary and bore the ultimate price, His life was a life of suffering for you and for me. So during this time of year, let us not forget that truth that He suffered for us. But then look again at verse 34. Something else I want to pick up on, I'll mention it and be done tonight. It says, and here's what I'm going to do if I can, if it doesn't offend you, I'm going to take that parenthetical statement out. You know, it's interesting that the Holy Ghost puts some statements in parentheses. I'm going to say that again. It's interesting that the Holy Ghost puts some statements in parentheses. What's the purpose of parentheses when you're reading through grammatically? Well, it's so that you can recognize that this thought, though connected, is not fluid with the main course and theme of the statement being made. So that you can take it, set it aside, read the statement without it, then put it back into the statement and appreciate it in its context and understand fully the significance. What's the parenthetical statement? Well, when he turns to Mary... And he says, yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. But if we set that aside for a moment, let's read verse 34. Simeon blessed him and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. When I come to this Christmas season, one of the things I'm reminded of is Christ's singularity. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, that we've got to make up our mind one way or the other about it. What does he mean when he says for the fall and rising again of many in Israel? Well, if you study Israel's history, you'll find it to be this vicious cycle. They would call unto God. They would be oppressed. They would cry out to God. 
God would send them a deliverer and He would deliver them and there would be a revival in the nation. They would turn their hearts back to Him, but then slowly they would backslide once again. And so God would send an oppressor that would oppress them and make them feel keenly their need of Him. And so then they, through that oppression, they'd cry out to God. God would send another deliverer. That's purely what the book of Judges is, but it's not confined to the book of Judges. It's all through the Old Testament. And so what you find is almost like a, like a seesaw. There was this situation in Israel where, where, where righteousness would fall and wane and wickedness would increase. And then wickedness would decline and righteousness would increase. And here's what Simeon, he's saying, he's getting ready to say, the Lord Jesus, he, he showed up and he's about to turn things all upside down. In other words, this is another one of those watershed moments where hearts are going to be revealed. There's people out here that proclaim that they believe in God and know Him and trust in Him. We'll see if that's true by how they treat this Christ. And then there's others out here that have been forgotten and disregarded and despised because they're not part of this religious ruling class. But now we're going to find out how they look in the eyes of God. In other words, just as we could find very poignantly displayed for us in the story of Lazarus and the rich men, things change. Throughout his life, Lazarus was despised and the rich man was comforted. Now, after life, uh, the rich man is in torment and Lazarus is comforted. What he's saying is, here comes the fire of God. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. Some are going to fall and some are going to rise. And a lot of hearts are going to be revealed. He's reminding them that this Christ that is coming, He, didn't, he wouldn't come to unite men. The Bible says abundantly clear, He said, I didn't come to send peace, but a sword and a fire. And what will I if it already be kindled? The Lord Jesus said, I came not to unite man, but to divide man, because I want to get to the truth. That when you get to truth, you divide things. You separate the wheat from the chaff. You separate the lies from the truth, and you get to the heart of it. That's what the Lord Jesus did. He came and He separated the wheat from the chaff in regards to the sincerity of the hearts of those that heard His truth and His message. And I'm reminded when I come to the Christmas season of two things. One, we better make our minds up about Jesus. There ain't no ride in the middle. There ain't no, there ain't no straddling the fence. One of these days we're going to stand before God and every person in this world is in one of two categories. You're either saved or you're not. You've either been born again or you haven't. You say, preacher, uh, what happens if I don't know? If you don't know, you haven't been. I'm not talking about if there's times in the in the darkest of night that you have anxiety and fear. I'm talking about if you don't know what being born again is, you ain't and you need to be. If you can't answer what does it mean to be saved, to how how, how does it how does a person know Christ, then you probably don't know Christ. If you were to ask any person around here, how do you know that you're alive? They just blink at you at the sheer magnitude of the stupidity of the question, right? They look at, well, of course I know I'm alive because I'm alive. That's the reason when you ask folks, you, have, have you been saved? You're going to get one of two answers. Well, one of three. Some will say no. Others will say, well, I hope so. And then some will say, yes. Yes. I know I'm born again. And you'll say, well, how do you know that you're saved? And I can give you the theological answer, right? When I was a 10 year old boy, I acknowledged that I was a lost sinner. I admitted that sin to God and I asked Christ to forgive me and save me 10 years old, December 1st, 1997. I can take you to the very room. I can take and show you the piece of carpet I knelt down on to get born again. I can tell you all those things. But if that's what I'm relying on, something's wrong. I ought to be able to say I know I'm saved 
what does the songwriter say? I know He lives because He lives in me. I, that my, my salvation is not just hinging. And I understand God saves a man in a moment. I, I understand that He saved me on that day. I was born again before that moment I was lost. After that moment I was born again. If I had died before then, I would have went to hell. If I had died after then, I'd go to heaven. I understand. I'm not disregarding that. But I'm saying this, the same way that you'd look a man and say, how do you know you're alive? And he'd look at you like a calf staring at a new gate. And he'd say, well, of course I'm alive. Look at me. Of course I'm alive. I know that I'm alive. By the same token, when a person gets born again, so how do you know that you're born again? Well, because God lives in me. That's how I know, because I'm alive. And he could probably even be so bold as to say, well, look at me. Don't you see the life in me? I'm saying this, we better make our mind up about Jesus Christ. And we better recognize this. Every person we come into contact with is going to be one of those two categories as well. They're either on their way to heaven or they're on their way to hell. They don't have to die in their sins. They can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ just like I did, just like I hope that you can testify that you have. They can be born again. They can be saved by the grace of God. When Simeon lifted up that little baby, he said, Oh my, here's the dividing line. Here's what men are going to have to make a decision about. Here's the issue that will topple kingdoms. Here, here, here is the, the issue that's going to separate families. Everybody's going to have to make their mind up about this baby. In the same way today, hey, listen, it's, it's, we're going to have to make up our mind about it. And I'm reminded when I come to the Christmas season that though it is a time when there are a lot of people that are practicing Christendom this time of year, there ain't a lot of people that know Christ as their Savior. And practicing Christendom is not the same thing as being a child of God. And I need to be vigilant. I need to be mindful to be the witness that I need to be. Those are some things I need to learn to see. And I think they're probably things we all need to learn to see. Here's what we should do. We should ask God to give us the right heart and the right spirit and the right perspective. We can complain. Let, let y'all can just turn your hearing aid off. I'm going to preach Toby for just a second, all right? Toby, you can gripe and moan about it all you want or you can get your heart in the way it needs to be and enjoy the Lord this year. I think that's what we ought to do, don't you? Let's bow together as musician comes to play. Father, pray that you'd use these next few moments. Help us, Lord, to be serious about the truth of your word, to get our heart trained and fixed upon you. And help us, Lord, to with meekness receive this word that's been given and to be willing to be honest with ourselves about where our heart and our mind needs to be this time of year. Father, I love you. And I ask it in Christ's name. With